Good morning. morning. How's everybody doing? Great. Great. Hey, my name's Ty. I'm one of the pastors here. It is a pleasure to be with every one of you. Uh, I got one quick thing real quick. Uh, Everyone look around the room. Just look around. It's kind of full in here, right? We're packed in here like a bunch of Dallas Cowboys fans in a sadness (laughs) clinic. Am I right? (laughs) So with that said... Hey, we're going to ask if some of you would um, move over to the 11 a.m. gathering, because it's pretty full in here, and we want to make room for guests as well. And so if you wouldn't mind uh, to move over to the 11 a.m. gathering, we've got a little bit of room there. Or you can come to the 6, we've got a lot of room there. Uh, We would love to have you do that if you wouldn't mind. That would be taking one for the team and helping people out. So make sure you consider that. Sound good? Um, I, uh, I am a, a preacher. and Oh, wait, by the way, let me not miss this opportunity. Hey, happy Memorial Day weekend, right? Uh, thank you to all who have served, are serving, or planning on serving. Thank you for all those, a part of friends and families of those who have or, are, or will serve. Uh, thank you all so much for all that you've done to give us the opportunity for lots of freedoms in this country and also to do what I'm doing right now. So thank you very, very much for that. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. So I'm a preacher. I, I love to preach. Uh, there, there's like the art of preaching. There's a little science to it, but like the art of preaching, it's an opportunity for me to be creative and in my writing and presentation of the word. And so I super enjoy it. I love to teach the Bible and make it understandable. Uh, I am known as the blue collar scholar. Uh, and it's like make it really easy to get. Uh, and so I absolutely love preaching and I love showing Jesus the hero from any and every text of the Bible. Um, but one of the things I don't do very well that some pastors do really well is I'm not a steps guy. Like, like you know, if you, see, have you ever, ever like her teaching like, hey, here's four steps to your best life now or, or eight steps to like a better marriage or like 14 steps to never watch a Fast and the Furious movie again or some, some kind of steps. Uh, I, I'm just not like that. Why? I don't know. It kind of, m- maybe it's just kind of easy or may- maybe it just feels like, hey, uh, if you just do these things, everything would be great. But we all know if you've been following Jesus for a long time, it's not steps. It's, uh, it's, just a, it's a lot more of a process than that. Would you agree? Um, all that to say, as we continue our, continue through the book of Romans, today I have seven steps for you <laughs> that, I think, uh, that I think will be really Hey, t- today is going to feel weird. I just want to put that up front. Today is going to be a little bit jarring. Today, you're going to feel like, uh, wait a minute, you're using good words, good Christian words, but you're kind of using it against us, all of us in here, if you're a Christian. You're kind of using those against us, and it's going to feel jarring. It's going to feel unsettling. But what I'm going to say is that if not careful, what we do as Christians, if you're a Christian here today, is we hide behind Christian things. Now, you may be wondering, like, Ty, why in the world are you doing this? Because it's exactly what Paul is doing in our text today. And so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and go to Romans chapter 2. Uh, we've been preaching through the book of Romans. We're going to be preaching through it for about a year. Uh, if you've missed any of it, you can go to our website, go to YouTube, or just read it, uh, and you get caught up. But be in Romans chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible here at Grace Point Church, you're going to need a Bible. We lead, teach, and preach from the Bible. We have them in English and Spanish up front and back and out at Center Point. And also on your smartphone, there's version on there. Download that. Click events and Grace Point Vegas stuff will pop up there as well. 
but, but Paul is addressing, um, I think, specifically the, the Jewish people who had converted to Christianity, and they were using their Jewish roots, or I would say even their religion, uh, to hide behind that. What Paul's been talking about laboring on for the past few weeks in our text that we've been covering, he's been laboring on that, that God is going to judge all people, including the religious people as well. And the Jewish people had even been taking their religion and using it to prop themselves up and look down upon other people. And what Paul's going, uh, what, what he's been going through and what he's going to go through is kind of what's known as the three pillars of Judaism, like the three things they really hang their hat on. And that would be the law of God. That would be the covenants with God when you look in the Old Testament. And that would be circumcision as well. And, and Paul's like, hey, don't hide behind those. You need to know the God behind them and have a relationship with them. Because if you don't know the God behind them and have a relationship with him, then you are going to be a religious dum-dum, and no one wants to be a religious dum-dum, am I right? No one, no one wants that. So he's warning them, and I think we need to hear that as well, because we can hide behind some of our pillar words. And there's only one thing, or better yet, one person that we can hide behind in judgment, and his name is? Jesus. Um, and I think it's going to be also helpful. I should say this. It's one of those things like, should I say it? I'm going to say this, uh, especially in the, our cultural climate. Some of us, we can read the Bible, especially Romans part, and we're like, hey, Paul doesn't like Jewish people. Like anti-Semitism there a little bit, it feels like, but it's not. Paul loved his brother and sister Jew as well because he was Jewish before he met Jesus and became a Christian. As a matter of fact, if you get down the road in the book of Romans in chapter 9, it kind of feels like he loves them so much that he was almost willing, if he could, but he couldn't, to give up his own salvation so they would be saved. So it's not that whatsoever. And with that, uh, you, may me hear, you may hear me kind of knock on Christians as well. Uh, does that mean I'm anti-Christian? Not at all. I am one and I love us. Uh, as Christians and love you as my brother and sister and want to help us along the way as well. And so uh, today we're going to look at seven things. Uh, I made a super simple um, kind of a setup for you to write down. Uh, that way you can understand the seven steps. And so it's really easy. It'll be really easy to follow along. And here it is. Seven words that Christians use to hide behind and keep us from having true faith and in turn make us a bunch of religious dum-dums and nobody wants to be around and can be dangerous and deadly to our souls and keep us from having a real relationship with Jesus himself. That's my title of this sermon. <laughs> I want you to memorize that, please. Seven words. Seven words. I'm going to show you the verse, and we're going to just make an instant connection to us, okay? Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Are you there? <laughs> Are you ready to do this? <laughs> I'm ready for vacation. Here we go, verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, let's pause right there. He uses the word Jew right there. He says, if you call yourself a Jew, meaning you believe in the one true God, Paul's addressing Bible-believing Jewish people that have converted to Jesus. They're saying, but you are a believer. It's like uh, when they would have this letter read to them, I could imagine the Jewish people that are converted to Jesus sitting in the group in the church and them being offended. They're like, what? What do you mean if I call myself a Jew? Don't you know me? Don't, don't you know my family? Of, co of course I am a Jewish person. Well, Paul's calling them out. Just because you call yourself a Jew, a believer, it doesn't make that a reality. Seven words. Word number one for us. Christian. Christian. Just because you say you are a Christian or a believer doesn't guarantee that you are one. 
This is, I think, one of our first and greatest words, if not careful, we can hide behind as people. Don't answer out loud. But why do you call yourself a Christian? If you are a Christian, if you're not a Christian, listen in. But why, why do you call yourself a Christian? On what grounds do you, you personally, not people around you, because we want to hear this for a moment, but you personally, on what grounds do you call yourself a Christian? Is it because it was the only box you knew what to check on, on a box of like what religion you are? That was the only box you knew to check. You looked through there and it said Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, and then you saw Mormon. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound like fun. Then you read Jehovah Witness and like, well, I do like celebrating and I like football and I like blood transfusion, so not that one. And then it said Christian. You're like, oh, I'll be a Christian. Is that... Is, is, is that one of the reasons why? Or, or perhaps the reason why you call yourself a Christian is because you say, well, it's because I believe in God. I believe in, listen, I, I've been around long enough where these young girls come to me and like, oh, I met a guy. And I was like, oh, is he a Christian? Well, he believes in God. I'm like, hmm, oh, okay, let's, let's see how this plays out. Uh, but you believe in God. Well, the Bible even says that you believe in God. Great, way to go. Even demons believe in God and shudder. And so like, I don't know. Maybe you would say this. Well, uh, I call myself a Christian because I go to church. I walk into my garage. Does that make me a transformer? (laughs) I I one time put a hot pocket in a microwave. Am I the next Iron Chef? Like, because my family goes to church. Because my meemaw, my peepaw, my my granny, my nanny, like whoever, they go to church. And because I was raised in church, because that's just what we do. We all go to church together. Someone puts me in a car. I end up here. There's Jesus stuff going on. I leave here. For that reason, I am a Christian. You know, the Jewish people back at that time period kind of had that dilemma as well. They had what was called Father Abraham. And Father Abraham was the original one who had this covenant with God. And and they thought, because we have Father uh, Abraham, because Abraham is in our lineage, Abraham is in our family, we by default are you know, believers as well. I've been around and, and people have said, hey, I'm a Christian because I was just, I was born as one. You are not born as a Christian. You must be, as Jesus says in John chapter three, born again, meaning you must trust Jesus. You must turn from sin and repent of sin and by faith place your trust in Jesus. You must follow him as Lord, like the leader of my life. He can tell me whatever uh, to do and to not do and trust him in all ways. You must exclusively worship him and worship him alone. The late Billy Graham said it like this. A Christian then is a person who is born again by the Spirit of God as he or she wholeheartedly trusts in Jesus Christ and seeks to follow him in obedience. There is no other way to the Father, no other way to be a Christian than through personal faith in the Son of God. I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except through me. So question number one, are you a Christian because of your faith? Or is there a Christian because of some other reason? You must have personal faith, exclusively worship, be born again, and trust Jesus. Don't just say, I'm a Christian. It's more than that. Jesus, I think, has a warning for us that'd be good for us to hear in Matthew 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, meaning judgment, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name and show up at church and you know, vote the right way and do all these kind of things? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Scariest words in the Bible. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
seven words that Christians use to hide behind and keep us from having true faith and in turn can make us a bunch of religious dum-dums that no one wants to be around and can be dangerous and deadly to our souls and keep us from having a real relationship with Jesus himself. Word number one, Christian. Let's keep going. You still with me? Okay, okay. Um, look back at verse 17. He says, you call yourself a Jew and rely, now watch this, rely on the law, boast in God, know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. Now, when we look at this right here, we're like, this, this all sounds great. You rely on the law, you know God's word, and you, you boast in God and approve what is excellent. This sounds like a really good thing. Well, unfortunately, they were treating it as a bad thing because they were using it, uh, this privilege they had of being God's people, to look down upon uh, the Gentiles, especially the Gentiles who had converted to Jesus. They, they used God's word to puff them up, and, and it made them blind to where God's word, it's like it no longer worked on them. They didn't receive it for themselves. They only received it for other people to look down upon people. Word number two. Word number one was Christian. Word number two, Bible. We love our Bibles, am I right? We do, man. We preach from the Bible here. We love our Bibles. We cherish. It's God's word. We believe that when you open this, it's like opening the mouth of God and you want to hear God speak, then read God's word out loud because this is his word to us. Absolutely. But if not careful, Christian, listen to me. We will hide behind our Bibles in a bad way. We will allow it to puff us up in order to look down upon everyone else. As a matter of fact, sometimes we use the term Bible, but not even know what it says, but we'll make statements that we think are from the Bible and use those to judge other people. Don't believe me? You ever said this when I heard this one? Cleanliness is next to godliness. That's from Second Opinions chapter 5, verse 2. God helps those who help themselves. That's from straight from hell. <laughs> it just is. Or we'll even judge people by the Bible translation that they use. We, Christians, we're the worst sometimes, right? Some people are like, well, hey, if it ain't the old King Jimmy, if it ain't KJV, because that's the Bible that Jesus used. No, it wasn't. I think it was written in 1611. Thou'st be wrong. It's not it. I better, I better, like, people are like, hey, if you're not saved by King James Version, well, then you're out. I'm like, no, I don't know about that. Or, you know, let's make fun of ourselves here. We use the ESV is what we like to call the elect standard version. That's a Bible nerd joke right there. And some people who know that joke, you look at people who have an NIV, you're like, mm-mm. The NIV, that's the nearly inspired version. <laughs> don't even get me started on the message. Oh, you know. And so we, 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 we will judge people. And then, and then how we use the Bible. How do you use the Bible? I heard a pastor say this, and I thought it was great. He says we use the Bible in one of two ways. We use it as binoculars to where we look at everyone else's sin and we go beat everyone else up. Or as James says in the book of James, we use it as a mirror so we can see our reflection of our true self and where we need to confess and repent of as well. Maybe another way to say it is, do we use the Bible as a scalpel or a machete. See, we should use the Bible as a scalpel. We should, and the Bible kind of instructs us to do that to where we should look at ourselves and we can find the little pockets or big pockets of cancer, of sin in our life, and we can surgically, with God's word, remove it in order to not wound us, but to heal us. Or we can use it as a machete and just go hack and beat people with it and, what, and just cut them up and say, the Bible says this, and the Bible says this, and we weaponize our Bible in a very poor way. We can do that in marriage. We can do that in parenting. Side note, this is not a marriage message, but if you look at your wife and say, submit to me because the Bible says that, like, you just, you just got it all wrong real quick. <laughs> like, like, 
like you need to back up a little bit, get a little help, and then, then get back in there at it. It's, the Bible's right, but the way you're doing it, probably wrong. But nonetheless, we love to grab our big 17-pound family Bibles and beat the sin out of everyone, everyone else, but just not us. Are you hiding behind your Bible? Would be a great question. Using it as a weapon to where you never turn it on yourself. Cut yourself before you cut somebody else. Kevin Van Hooser said this, the one thing to have, it's one thing to have a high view of Scripture, quite another to do its truth. It's not enough to admire the Bible, we have to embody it. Being biblical is not simply a matter of believing its propositions, but of responding to the many things God is saying to us, me, in Scripture. Because God does, does do more than convey information to us through the Bible, so those of us who read the Bible have to be more than information processors. A robust, a robust view of biblical authority requires us to obey its commands, trust its promises, sing its songs. We're the singing people. Don't forget Christians. Heed its wisdom and hope for its ending. Seven words that Christians can use to hide behind and keep us from having true faith and in turn can make us a bunch of religious dum-dums that no one wants to be around and can be dangerous and deadly to our souls and keep us from having real relationship with Jesus himself. Word number two, Bible. Let me keep going. Verse 19, you still with me? All right. Verse 19, give me a minute. And if you are sure that you yourself, so he's talking that you're, you're sure, you're confident, you're, you're, you're really, really sure, you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. Now, originally, God's people of the Old Testament were to be a light to the nations. God came to them, chose them, said, hey, you're going to have a relationship with me, and now that you are to be a light to all the nations. That's the promise of Abraham, as stars in the sky, as numerous as sand on the seashore. You're to be a light to the nation. Uh, they are to go and teach people God's way so they can know God's way and so they can know God. So they are called to be missionaries. Our third word is missionaries. Are you a Christian? Give me a head nod or a yes. Are you a Christian? Man, have you had coffee? <laughs> if you are a Christian, you by default are a missionary. If you look in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus calls us to go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything's commanded, and lo, he'll be with you to the end of the ages, right? So all of us are called to be missionaries. The great preacher, in my opinion, of all time outside of Jesus, Charles Spurgeon, said it like this, once more, he who, has, he, he who really has this high estimate of Jesus will think much of him as he, the thoughts are sure to run over at the mouth. He will talk much of him. Do we so? If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husbands. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friends. Without the charms of eloquence, thank God, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak. Your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Now we hear that and we feel the ding. We're like, oh, this feels awful. And for many of you, you're like, well, I am a missionary and I do a lot of missionary work and I'm great at spreading you know, good news abroad to other people. Well, I'm going to make you cringe even more by my next comments. What are you a missionary for? A missionary is a representative. Like you're representing someone or something on whose behalf as a missionary have you been going? 
what nation or kingdom? You know, you, know, you could really look into some of Paul's writing and, and some of the Jewish believers there were kind of leaning, it seems like, and feels like a little bit towards Jewish nationalism. Basically, they're saying our nation is better than your nation. God is for our nation and our nation alone. And if you want to be with God, you better become one of our nation because we are favored by God. You watch the news, right? Right? <laughs> Lots of people calling themselves Christians who are evangelizing Christian nationalism or just nationalism in the name of God with some Bible words and Christian things sprinkled upon them. Now you're getting really nervous. You're like, oh my gosh, is Ty going to talk about woke? Or Ty going to talk about anti-woke? Now you're really getting tight. I can feel the attention right now. Uh, By the way, if if we're using the word work, we're about five years behind right now. But here's what I'm asking you to think through. All I'm asking is for you and I to think through what you're wanting to convert people to. Do you want to convert people to Jesus or to a political idea? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of this great nation? Are you wanting to convert them to be a Republican or convert them to be a Democrat? Now, I know right now you may be feeling like, well, Ty, it just feels very anti-American. Listen, listen, listen. I love America. I am thankful for this great nation. Absolutely. Uh, one of my kids, I was at the recruiter's office and potentially going to join the Air Force. And man, when that happens, you got a kid joining uh, the service, man, you stand up a little taller, you salute a little bit more. And when you see old glory, you want to shoot a shotgun and do all kinds of fun American things. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. But we've got another election cycle coming. Uh, yeah, we do. And it, it's, it, I just cringe at like, okay, what are, how are Christians going to handle this one? Because it feels like we're discipled more by the news. Pick your flavor, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, I don't care, whatever you're into. We're discipled more by the news than we are discipled by the Word of God. And that puts us in a very precarious place. Because some people you can watch get way more animated, way more passionate, and way more excited about politics than we do Jesus and his kingdom. And I can argue to you, if that is you, that you get way more excited about politics and all that kind of stuff versus Jesus and his kingdom. I can show you from the Bible your error there. And then if you turn that around, like, well, you can show me from the Constitution my error there. And I I would say, well, at least we know where we're coming from. Look. We should love the constitution of this great country under the Bible. We should love our freedoms as Americans under our salvation and freedom that we have in Christ. We should love America as steward her well. What a great country we live in. The freedoms for me to get up here and even talk about this right now. We should love America, but we should love America You're not going to like this one. We should love America under the church. The church is the new people of God. The church will withstand the test of time. In heaven, we will not be waving oh glory around. We'll be just giving glory to the one who deserves glory. That's the good news of the gospel. And so, yes, love this country. But when you become a missionary, you're a missionary for Jesus and his kingdom, not politics not a political way, not for nationalism sprinkled in with some Christianity around us. So that's my question to you. What are you a missionary of? Jesus or a political way? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of nations?
We're called to be missionaries. Seven words that Christians use to hide behind and keep us from having true faith and can turn make us a bunch of religious dum-dums that nobody wants to be around and can be dangerous and deadly to our souls and keep us from having a real relationship with Jesus himself. That's getting old, right? It's getting old for me. Missionary. Verse 20. Still with me? (laughs) Verse 20. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment and knowledge of truth. So Paul's telling the Jewish people, look, you guys are instructors and teachers. And, um, but, but what they were doing and what he's going to be getting at is that they were instructors and teachers, but they were only using it to criticize and look down upon the Gentiles who had converted to Jesus within the church. It puffed them up, but they considered themselves teachers. The Gentiles sensed this feeling and they resented this. There's a guy by the name of Tacitus. He said this. He says, among themselves, among the Jewish converts, their honesty is inflexible. Their compassion quickly to move amongst themselves, but to all other persons, they show the hatred of antagonism. In Alexandria, the Jews allegedly took an oath never to show kindness to a Gentile. And yet, God has called them to be instructors. God has called them to be teachers. So our next word, our fourth word that is dangerous, teacher, teacher. Some of us here have the gift of teaching. Thank God. Man, what a great gift it is to teach. Some of us in here, we, 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 we think we have the gift of teaching, and what we have, respectfully, is a spirit of criticism and, and, and correction. Many people have come in here and said, well, you know, God has called me to teach. And there's been, there's been people that come in, and it's their first Sunday here, and they want to make sure they get around someone in leadership. That way, they can tell them all the things that we're doing wrong. I just smile and nod. Thank you. Thank you. I know those things as well. Um, Here's what you don't want to come across as. Can I just be really honest? Uh, If not careful, if we think we have the gift of teaching and yet it's just a spirit of criticism, we come across as the HOA. (laughs) HOA does a drive-by. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Sends you a full-color letter. A full-color picture of all the things wrong. Hey, do you know what I've never, and if you're a part of the HOA, God bless you, I love you. You're just doing your job. You're, to the letter of the law, you're doing your job. Anyway, uh, you know one thing I've never received from the HOA? A letter that says, hey, you're doing things just fine. Way to go. Like, you're keeping your, your place pretty nice. I never, I never got that. <laughs> now, some of you may be pushing back, like, well, Ty, can't, can't you take some correction? Can't you take some correction? Absolutely, but I'm going to argue that we should have connection before you make correction. So um, you've been around for a while. You know your pastor here um, can't, can't read very well. It's true. And pronounce words very well. And so a dear friend, person who's been here for a while, person who loved me well and, wanted, and, and loves Jesus and loves the church well, she came up to me. She said, hey, uh, you said this word wrong. I was like, oh, man, tell me how to say it right. She was telling me how to say it right the because look, man, hooked on pahonics did not work it for me. Uh, and I put the wrong emphasis on the saliva, and it just gets it all messed up. And my, I so appreciate like her. Why? Because there, there's connection. Like, th- like if there's connection, there can be correct. I can be. I can. I can learn. I can learn. And it's it's a good. It's a good thing. But there's connection there. If not careful, we consider ourselves teachers because we know the Bible, and here's what happens. For everyone else, you get law, but for you, you want grace. Like you look through your Bible and like, oh, you're doing that wrong. I got to tell you. You're doing that wrong. I got to tell you. You're not doing that quite right. I got to tell you. It says law, 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 law. You ever been around a person like that? 
Fun times, am I right? And yet when you go to them and say, hey, well, your attitude here, whoa, whoa, brother, grace, for there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Like, wait a minute, the table just turned. How did you do that? A teacher has to be, has to be teachable. Look what he says in verse 21. He says, you then who teach, do you not teach yourself? You've got to stay humble. You've got to stay teachable. Help me out. I'm looking for a word here. I can't find this word. What do you call it? And, and a lot of people uh, who, who don't like Christians in church, what do you call it when someone says to do one thing, but they don't actually do it or they do something? What do you call those people? Hypocrite. hypocrite. That's what we are. We, us, at times, we're all hypocrites. Uh, hypocrite is like a word from Greek culture of the theater that uh, an actor or actress, would, they would be backstage and they put on a mask and they come out and they play the part and they never take the mask off and they go back uh, backstage again. They put on a different mask and they do this over and over and over and over. And at the end of the play, they would never really reveal themselves. And you all be, always would wonder, who's the real person? That's us sometimes. I got my work mask. I got my church mask. Hi, hello, brother. <laughs> like... How's the fellowship? It's crack a lacking, sanctifying, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. It's a, hip, it's a hypocrite. Hypocrite. Parents, let's talk about parents. Because he talks about ch- teaching children. Don't ask your kids to go somewhere with Jesus that you're unwilling to go. Because your kids will point that out real quick. Don't, don't like press Jesus, Bible, God stuff on them that you're not pressing upon yourself. You're talking about making some bitter kids or some rebellious kids. There it is right there. Don't tell your kids, I'm going, don't tell your kids how important Jesus is and the church is, but then you will do everything else and make every excuse, ball games or whatever is going on to miss gathering with the people of God. But then tell your kids like, it's the most important thing ever. Where, not are, where are you a hypocrite? Because we are, all of us are. Where do you see yourself as a hypocrite? Seven words. This word was teacher. Let me keep going. Look at verse 21 again. He says, uh, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, you, do you steal? So uh, Paul's going to talk about stealing here. I don't know what's going on in the context. I've read a lot of commentaries on it. Were people stealing? Not sure what he's talking about. Were they, was there something going on within the church? Did he hear something about it? Uh, but my fifth word is the word money. 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 If I were to sit down with you one-on-one and be like, hey, hey, or if you're a couple, one-on-two, if I were to sit, if I were like, hey, hey, are, are you stealing? I want the majority of you like, oh, how dare you? You'd be indignant. How, how dare you call me a thief? I'm not stealing anything whatsoever. Let's probe. Let's probe. Um, you, you, ever, you, ever, you ever steal at work? Take a pen home, take a tool home, take a... Notepad home, take a, oh, I forgot, it was in my pocket, whatever. <laughs> Did you ever live through the late 90s and early 2000s when the internet got big? Which just tells, I'm from Kentucky because it took the 2000s, um, when the internet got big. And me- 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 you, do you remember LimeWire? <laughs> um, you, ever, you ever steal time from work to where you just goof off and, you know, just, just not, not doing your job? There's this new thing, I saw it on the news the other night, it's called the Sunday Scaries. You ever heard of the Sunday Scaries? 
Um, Sunday scares are on Sunday night. People have anxiety because like their weekend's over and all the fun's over and they go back to work and it's causing all this depression and anxiety and all this. And LinkedIn, which is a social media thing, it's basically Facebook with a business suit on. Anyway, uh, like they're all, it's like 75% of people like have this thing. And so what they've done is is, it's people uh, that have these Sunday scaries. They decided that they are going to have what is now called, this this is a term, bare minimum Monday. That means when they go to work on Monday, they're going to do the bare minimum. Some of you are like, thank you very much. I'm doing that. No, that's called stealing. Yeah, your employer pays you. I'm that guy that's going to say it. Your employer pays you. You're supposed to do your job, not bare minimum Monday. Get at it. Anyway, well, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's in serving. Maybe you're stealing by not serving, right? I mean, God has given you time, and time is like currency, and you're not using your time and your talents to serve one another and to serve the church. Oh, if you didn't like that one, you'll love this one. What about tithing? Because like we're called to be, be, be generous. I mean, it says in Malachi 3, it says, will man rob God? What does the word rob mean? Will, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, God says. But you say, how have we robbed you? And your tithes and contributions. And listen, listen, listen. Right now, some of you, some of you you're like, you stiffened up a little bit. You're like, well, that's Old Testament. And Old Testament's gone away. And we don't have to keep the Old Testament rules anymore. If that's you right now, you've got a money issue. You've got a heart issue with your money. Why? Uh, because Jesus said this in Matthew 23, 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe, 10%. Mints and dill and cumin, basically your spice rack. You tithe. If you bring your spice rack in here, we will reject it. <laughs> I don't want your dirty pepper. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matter of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So it's like, oh yeah, that replaces all the tithing. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. Why is tithing important? Because you will either worship with your money, or you will worship it. Jesus makes that very clear through the Gospels. You will see it as a gift from God, or you will see it as a God. And God has called us to be stewards with our money, and we are to use our money as a great gift for us to provide a a place to live, or to provide electricity, and provide provide some air conditioning, thanks be to God in the summer, to provide some food and all that, and to provide for others through the local church and through the gospel work of the local church. I'll give you one more caveat. I think we're stealing away dependence upon God and glory to God. How do you, how, how you ask? Because uh, most Americans and most of us in the room uh, are affluent. Like, there's affluency here. And, and when you have money and you have means, uh, you rely less on God when you get in trouble or when you need something. Why? You can just throw money at it. You know, Jesus told us to, to, to pray, like, uh, give us this day our daily bread. When's the last time you prayed for a meal for the day? Well, I don't have to anymore. I got 30 days worth of meal in my refrigerator or in my pantry or out in my garage or waiting for the zombie apocalypse or whatever it is. Watch out for affluency. So money, is it a gift or is it a God? Do you worship with it or do you worship it? Our seven words, that one there is money. Let me keep going. Verse 22, we're getting there. You who say the one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Uh, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Number six, our word is sex. Uh, we've covered this quite a bit um, through the first chapter or so of this, but last week it felt like Paul was saying even the Gentiles have not kept the law of God written in their hearts, the Jews have not kept the law written on tablets, and within the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, we see ad- adultery. 
Uh, again, talked a lot about this a couple of weeks ago, but, but let's be honest. When it comes to Christians, this is one Christian really, we, we Christians we go after. We, we really judge people on this one. Now, as Christians, from our Bibles, we believe that marriage is between one man and one woman for a lifetime, and that anything outside of that is sinful, okay? In light of that, Christians at times are very hateful and ugly to those in the LGBTQ plus community, which I will go on record as saying, in regard to God's word, anything outside of one man, one woman marriage for a lifetime would be considered against God's design and therefore against God and would be sinful. I want to make sure I'm on the record for that. But I must ask some questions. Why do we Christians not equally stand against heterosexual sin? Men and women living together and having sex. Why do we, why do we not equally stand against that? Why, why do most porn statistics show that Christians look at about the same amount of porn as non-Christians do, especially when Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount that it's not an external, it's not just external adultery is, it's also of the heart as well. And why are most statistics very close when it comes to Christians and non-Christians when it comes to divorcing? Now, remember, the law has two sides to it, the negatives, the don't, and we may be really good at the don'ts, but are we really good at the do's to where we honor marriage and we honor sex and we honor all that? Why, why is it true that we go after some things but not other things? Maybe it's because it's easier and lazier for us to go after everyone else's sexual sin and not our own. Maybe. See, we don't need to hide behind a good moral and theological view of sex all the while beating up others, yet only hiding sexual sin. God knows our sexual sin. And so if you're in some type of sexual sin, typically it's pornography, here's what I would say to you. You need to get help. We have refuge. We have pastors that kind of help walk you through that. We have men and women that would help walk you through getting some help. If you're in the middle of an affair right now, it's time to come clean. It's time to confess. It's time to repent. Let us know so we can help walk you through that and try to salvage your marriage. Absolutely. Seven words. Number six was sex. You still with me? Verse 23. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. So now Paul's getting at him. He's getting at us. You boast in the law. You boast in all this, but yet you break it. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That right there should wreck us, Christian. That, that we, as individuals and as churches... Are not living in such a way that makes God attractional and beautiful for other people, but live in such a way that makes God and the things of God putrid to other people, not attractional. See, we are called to be light by how we live our lives. Imperfect as we are, we're called to be light. We're called to show others the goodness. One last word. I'm going to finish out the text. Verse 25. Almost there. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So a lot of the Jewish people were like, hey, uh, we have circumcision, so therefore we have this sign, this outward sign that says we're good with God. He's like, if you break the law, it's like being uncircumcised like a Gentile. So if a man who is uncircumcised, verse 26, keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So he's like, hey, even the Gentiles, like if they keep the law, it's like they're circumcised. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you. The, the Gentile will condemn the Jew, condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. 
For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So let's talk about circumcision, because I know probably for weeks you guys are like, man, when is he going to talk about circumcision? I have been waiting for this one. I got my spouse with me. I brought my friend from work today. My kids are here. I can't wait to explain that to them later on. Let's get into some circumcision here. Well, it'd be easy for me to tell, and I think somewhat right for me to say, hey, take the word circumcision and replace it with baptism. Different. There's some differences for sure, but there's some similar. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. Uh, and, and take the word Jewish or, and, and put Christian, but we kind of we kind of see it a little bit as the same. So what Paul writes here about circumcision and being a Jew could also be said about baptism and being a Christian. The real Christian, like the Jewish person he's talking about here, is, is one inwardly, and true baptism, like true circumcision, is in the heart and by the Spirit. It is a mistake to elevate the sign at the expense of what it signifies. Well, baptism and circumcision are different. They're, they share a connection. Baptism is to be a sign of an inward reality, but the sign is worth it, worthless without the reality of Christ in you. Can I say it one more time? Baptism outwardly is pointless if you don't have Christ in you. All you did was get wet. That, that's, that's it. It'd be like me wearing a wedding ring. I wear a wedding ring. Why? The wedding ring is an outward sign showing an inward reality of the two became one. Angie and I are married forever and ever until she murders me. We're, we're married. Baptism is the same. That you, you have this inward reality. But if not careful, we have this thing called dead orthodoxy to where we believe something and we know like the, the doctrines and we know the teachings and all that, but it has not done anything internally to transform us. Now, for some of you, this is going to be a difficult exercise, but listen to me. Can you remember your baptism? I want you to think back. Can you remember your baptism? For some of you who said, I was baptized as a baby, then here's what I would say. Are you a true believer and follower of Jesus? If you are, then I would say be baptized to say, hey, I am a true believer and follower of Jesus because that's what baptism is showing. It's showing an outward expression of an inward reality of change inside of you. But can you remember your baptism? Now listen to me. If you can remember your baptism, listen. Does it now challenge you and show that you're changed? Because that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to at times challenge you. Like, oh yeah, I remember getting in the waters. I remember you know, saying, hey, this is me. The old me died. The new me is alive. Does, does, does your life reflect your baptism? Just because you are baptized does not mean you are saved. Can, can you hear? I've heard that many, a lot of people have been like, hey man, I'm baptized, so I'm good to go. No, 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 no. Are you in Christ? Baptism is good. If you have not been baptized, get you, we're going to be baptizing monthly here pretty soon. Get it. But if you're not in Christ, your baptism does not matter. It, it is, you just got wet at church. Our seventh word is baptism. Now, when you hear these seven words, and as we walk through this, it should do two things. Number one, it should make us a lot less judgy towards other people. It should make us very hesitant to go out and just judge everyone around us. It should be very hesitant. Number two, if you hear these seven words and hear this explains, 
It's going to feel easy to feel like there's nothing we can do to escape God's judgment and wrath. There's nothing we can do. There should be a feeling in each and every one of us of hopelessness in and of ourselves. We can't do it. We don't measure up. We are not enough. Can, can you feel that weight? Give me a nod. Can you feel that weight? Good. Good. Then let me give us, we have one hope. And that one hope is through circumcision. The Jews supposed they were secure because they were part of God's chosen people because of the sign of circumcision. They believed that circumcision secured their salvation. But there's a heart behind circumcision that they missed. Circumcision is showing a relationship that you have. But why, well, <laughs> why is circumcision such an intimate, violating symbol? Like, what is, what is the symbolism? And it means this. It is a visual sign of the penalty of breaking the covenant. Circumcision is a visible sign of breaking, a reminder of breaking the covenant. Let me explain. When two people were going to make a transaction back in ancient times, when two nations were going to come to a deal and a treaty with one another, they wouldn't like sign their name on something. They would do some type of symbolism. Sometimes they would take dust and throw it up over themselves and saying, hey, if I break my end of the deal, may I become like this dust. I'm showing you the penalty if I become, uh, you know, if I break the covenant. And then sometimes in ancient culture, they would take an animal, they would split it in two. You see this with Abraham. They would split it in two, and they would walk in between the two animals, saying, if I break my end of the deal, may I become like this animal as well. And we see that in Genesis when it comes to uh, the, the covenant as well. So circumcision is a cutting off in a very intimate, personal, and tender way. And so could you, <laughs> could you imagine being Sarah? She's back in the tent. She's like, oh, you know, Abraham's out there with God, talking to God. Abraham comes back. He's like, well, um, something's different. Uh, God told me to do this. And she's like, huh, well, that's different. Anyway, <laughs> careful, careful, careful. So what God was saying to Abraham in that, if you want to be in a relationship with me, you need to be circumcised, you and everyone else, other male, and if you break the covenant, you will be cut off forever. It's a visible sign saying you will be cut off forever. Cut off from others. Cut, cut, cut off from life. Cut off from God himself. And I would say cut off from eternal life. Now, there's a problem with this. Who in here has kept all the covenants perfectly and kept all the law of God perfectly? Anybody in here? So we are, we've all been cut off from God because we have broken the covenant. Matter of fact, how could God have any people at all? Because all people have broken the covenant. All people have broken his laws. How could anyone be right with God? Because the can, the cutting off of which circumcision was a sign, has already happened. The true circumcision. What is the true circumcision? Paul picks up on this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Right there. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And when the Greek people and the Gentile people in the church were hearing that, they were like, "Woo! thank God, especially the dudes. But by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of who? Jesus. 
Christ was circumcised for you and I. On the cross, in his death, the complete and total cutoff being forsaken by the Father on our behalf. Jesus was a truly circumcised. He was, he was cut off. He bore the curse of being a covenant breaker when he was not, because we are. He, he bore the curse of breaking the law, and he never broke the law, but we did. He bore that curse for us. And so if you are in Jesus, then Jesus, in Jesus, we are the circumcised. Through the Spirit, applying the work of the Spirit upon us, the Father now sees us as objects of praise and not objects of His wrath. Isn't this good? This is the good news of the gospel. You can go out there and spread it to the world. I am circumcised in Christ. Because we cannot hide behind our religion. We can't hide behind our spirituality. We can't hide behind our good works. Listen, on the day of judgment, listen, on the day of judgment, there's one place we can hide. Colossians 3.3 tells us, for you have died and your life is what? It's not on the screen yet. Your life is what? Hidden. And who? That's it. That's the good news. That's what Paul is trying to get us to. Like there's nothing you and I can do, no amount of spirituality and good works and words and all that. It's only being hidden and found in Christ. Perhaps today, God is showing you something that you've been hiding behind. It'd be a great opportunity to confess and repent of that. Perhaps there's areas of your life where you're not being obedient. Perhaps there's an area of your life that you're not trusting Jesus. Today is a great day to where you can confess, repent, and find refreshment in Him and trust in Jesus. And Jesus alone is our hiding place. I want to pray for us, and let's go to the Lord's table together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your goodness. And thank you so much for the, the circumcision of the heart that we have applied by the Spirit, all because of what Christ has done on the cross, that he was cut off completely and fully from you. And in light of that, we will not be because of him. God, would you continually remove anything that we are putting our trust in, anything that we're depending upon, anything we're finding great value and significance from, anywhere we find security, approval, anything other than Jesus. God, would you continually cut that out of us? Holy Spirit, we know you're good and you're, you're at work. Convict us of our sin of idolatry or dependence upon something else or disobedience or whatever it may be. Convict us of that. And Lord, as you're sanctifying us and making us more like Christ, would we be a true light to the world where people will not look down upon you, but through our lives and even, even the imperfect parts, people will see a good and gracious God that loves and forgive sinners and adopts orphans as sons and daughters. And as you do this, may it be for our joy and our unity, and Jesus may be for your glory alone. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.